Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 10, and if you would please, uh, in honor of, of God, uh, stand if you're able to, as we read. I'm going to read a couple uh, verses from chapter 10 and a little bit from chapter 11 as well. Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet, The Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God, who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. We come down into chapter 11. It describes again that the obedience, their obedience that they're to exercise, the love that they're ha- to have for God. And then he says this in verse 26 of chapter 11. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. Are they not beyond the Jordan west of the road towards the going down of the sun, the land of the Canaanites? who live in the Arabah, opposite Gilgal, beside the oak of Morah. For you are to cross over the Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you. And when you possess it and live in it, you shall be careful to do all the statutes and the rules that I am setting before you today. You may be seated. May God bless us as we read his word. And Father, we do ask your special grace upon us as we turn to the teaching and, and the application of your word. Help us to understand these things and to live in obedience to you with great joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, we would often, I would often spend a, a week or so in Arkansas with my grandparents. And my, my grandmother was a very godly woman, and yet she came from a a different church tradition than my family did. You know, in Texas, we went to kind of a traditional conservative church. Uh, Grandma was Pentecostal. She attended Assemblies of God Church, and that particular church had some uh, strong charismatic leanings. And 
I remember going to her church one time and being exposed to some things that I had never been exposed to before when attending church. Uh, it was a Sunday evening service, and there was a, a time during the service where people just kind of stood up and began to give testimonies. And at some point, my grandmother uh, stood up and give a, gave a testimony, and she mentioned how much she loved this church and how her grandson Daniel hadn't wanted to come to church this, this, this evening. He had wanted to go to the lake and had tried to convince her to go to the lake and, and swim, but instead we were at church and how grateful she was for that, which made me very uncomfortable. I thought that was kind of my testimony to give if needed, but, uh, yeah. So she, uh, she did, she was uh, at that church. Another thing that happened that even there was, there was speaking in tongues, which I had never seen or heard of before, and that made me a little bit uncomfortable as well, trying to, to figure out exactly what that was. Grandma also, and I don't know if this was because she was part of, of this Assemblies of God church and just got on some weird mailing lists, but she also received just really interesting mail. Uh, and I remember oftentimes she'd, she'd just kind of throw things out and let me kind of read them and uh, just kind of some interesting things. She'd get on mailing lists about different uh, Christian organizations, things like that. But she also went up, she got this, this uh, letter from an evangelist. And it, was a, it came in a big package and kind of a big folder. And you take the, you took this, this piece of paper out of this big envelope and, and you, you unfolded it and became an even larger piece of paper. And on the piece of paper it said, prayer mat. And it, maybe some of you have seen these before too. And it had instructions. It said, okay, take this prayer mat and take it to a, a special closet or a special room and kneel down on this prayer mat and, and pray for some blessing. Pray for this blessing and then fold the mat back up and mail it back to this evangelist and whatever blessing you desire, you'll receive. Also send money. And then send the money to the evangelist, and then the evangelist will pray in the prayer mat, and whatever blessing it is that you desire, you'll receive. I remember looking at this thing thinking, well, you know, uh, this, this seems, you know, even as a kid, this, this, seems, this seems pretty ridiculous, right? I mean, this just, this just seems wrong. Now, later, I would learn that that evangelist was probably part of a movement called the, the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. And I don't, my grandmother wasn't a part of that, but we did have some family members who were. And I remember the more I found out about this, this prosperity gospel movement, this health and wealth gospel theology, the more concerned I became. And if you've spent much time at Bethany Community Church, you know that I, uh, I, I hate the prosperity gospel because I believe, and we've talked about this before, I, I believe that it takes Jesus Christ from the center of our faith and moves him to the periphery. Instead of Jesus Christ being the great aim, Jesus Christ becomes this, this means to get some physical blessing, the financial or health blessing. And so I believe it's a very dangerous theology, right? But as I was thinking about this passage here in Deuteronomy and, and kind of reading through what's happening in these chapters and in chapters 27 and 28, I realized there, there's something else that, that's that's problematic about the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity theology, and the blessings that it promises. So many of the passages that talk about God's blessing also mention something else. In the same passages where you see God's blessings described, you see oftentimes curses. And if it's possible 
through our, our efforts to earn God's blessing, then that means it also must be possible for us to earn God's curses, right? And that's, I don't hear a lot of curse theology preaching, not a lot of doom and gloom pastors, right? But, but I believe that's, that's something that is very problematic, as we come to these passages. In fact, let me just kind of remind you about some of the things that we've been discussing. Remember this diagram we've looked at before. This diagram shows us kind of this, this idea of, of uh, what we're seeing here in Deuteronomy, what Moses is presenting to the people. He tells the people, look, I must know God in order to love him. And then he says, I must love him in order to obey him. So if I want to know God, I'm going to love him, and if I'm going to obey him, I have to love him. Obedience flows out of love. And then the last thing that we see here in this this process is I must obey God to experience his blessing. Okay, so I have to know God to love him. I have to love God in order to be obedient to him. And I have to be obedient to him in order to experience his blessing. This is what we've seen as we've gone through the book of Deuteronomy. This is what Moses is teaching the people. Kind of put it another way here, kind of a, a nice little little uh, arrow chart for you. Know God, you begin with knowing who God is, knowing the true God, knowing all the things you need to know, that he's, he's the one true God, there's one God, there's not other gods. Know those things. Then as I know those things about the mighty God who's one who saves, what do I do? I love him. Then as I love him, what do I do from that? I obey him, and then I experience his blessing. That's what Moses is, is teaching the people here in Deuteronomy. But there's another, there's another flow chart you could have as you go through Deuteronomy, right? Here's, here's that one. There's also a possibility of forgetting who God is. I can, instead of remembering and thinking about what God has done in my life and being aware of who he is and how he has loved me and cared for me, I, I can forget about God. And I can love, but not love God. I can love idols, And as I love idols and go after other gods, what happens? I I disobey God. And what does that mean? It means that I bring upon myself a curse instead of a blessing. That's what we see is is happening. That's what Moses is telling the Israelites. Hey, you you need to know God in order to love him. You need to love him in order to be obedient to him. You need to be obedient to him to experience his blessing. But also, you need to understand, you can also forget about God. And if you forget about God, you're going to love idols. You love idols. You're going to walk in disobedience to God. You walk in disobedience to God. You don't experience the blessing. You experience the curse. Now, here's, here's the problem, right? Here's the problem. If it's possible for me to deserve blessing... It's also possible for me to deserve curse. And I'm far more likely to deserve a curse than I am a blessing. Now here's what the prosperity gospel gets right. And that's a phrase you will not hear me say very often, okay? What, what they get right, and, and again, I, I believe there are, uh, you know, I have family members who I believe are believers who, who would uh, adhere to some of these things, but what, what I think they get right is this. They get right the idea that pursuing God's blessing is a good thing. They wrongly define what God's blessing is. They have a wrong theology of suffering. They have a wrong theology of who Jesus Christ ultimately is, is our, our ultimate treasure, or at least that gets distorted. But what they get right, and what we need to understand as well, is that God's blessing is something that we should desperately desire to obtain. 
And what, what is also correct is that God's blessing is not just something that we enjoy sometime in the future in heaven, but that God's blessing can be experienced now. That we can begin to experience God's blessing of, of being united in Christ even now. You know, Paul in Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control in my life right now in Christ. I can experience the joy of the blessing. And yet, the sad reality is that many of us, even, even when we're in Christ, struggle and oftentimes, our, our day-to-day experience is, is, is sometimes more in line with, with the curse than the blessing. I'm experiencing the reality of, of the curse in my relationships with other believers. Or in terms of, of the stress that I feel or the, 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 the weight of, of life or just the, the lack of joy as I go about my, my day-to-day life. I'm, I'm often living as though I'm under a curse instead of a blessing. Here's what I think we see as we come to these passages in Deuteronomy. And we think about living life and blessing in Christ and yet also experiencing the, the, the pain of the curse in, in our relationships with parents or spouse or, or co-workers. Here's, here's what we see. Here's kind of the main idea that I want us to think through this morning. We need someone, you and I desperately need someone who can take the curse for us and provide the blessing for us. As we come to these passages, passages in Deuteronomy, we see this, this blessing described, and we see the curse described. What we're going to realize, I hope, as we go through this, this is the goal. If I don't get to this by the end of, of this morning, I failed in this passage, I think. But what we're going to see is, look, we're going to come to the realization, I need someone. I need someone who can take God's blessing and provide it for me because I certainly do not deserve it. And I need someone who can take the curse for me and take that penalty of God's curse for me because I certainly do deserve it. Here's the first thing I want us to look at. The first thing that I want us to see as we kind of go through this text this morning is this. The essence of obedience, number one, the essence of obedience is loving God. And look at uh, chapter 10, verse 12 with me again, if you would. Uh, notice what, what God requires. And this is similar to what we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? This is verse 12. But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep, his, keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Okay, So he, it's a similar idea to what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, what, is, what does God require of you? And then he gives them five things. Now these aren't Five separate things to say, okay, first of all, I have to fear him, check. And then secondly, I have to walk in all his ways, check. And then I need to love him, check. And then I need to serve him, check. He's not talking about separate things. These are all things that, that overlap and all get at the same idea. In order to, to be obedient and fully obedient to God, what do I need to do? I need to love him. I, I need to love him with my whole heart, my, my soul, my strength. And as I, as I fully love God, I will not be able to do anything but walk in his ways and, and be obedient to him and walk rightly before him. So what's, what's the essence of obedience here in Deuteronomy? The essence of obedience, we've seen this again and again, is, is loving God. 
You want to obey God? You want to keep all these commandments, these statutes? Simple. You need to love him. And he goes on and he talks about who God is in relationship with his people, verses 14 and 15. We've talked about that before. What does God require of his people? He requires them to, to, to love him. When we were in Israel, uh, we've, both times we've, we've been, we used the same uh, tour guide. Uh, and our, our tour guide is a, just a very gracious man. He's very, very brilliant. He's a Jewish man, and, and, but, but very respectful of those who have different opinions than he, do, he does about faith. And I was, I was asking him our, our last night there in Israel, this last time, I said, so, you know, help me understand, uh, you know, I know that you don't believe that God would have you follow Jesus as the Messiah. Can, can you help me understand why that is? And he said, yeah, uh, sure. He says, I, I think that if, if Jesus had really been the Messiah, he would have established his kingdom right there. He would have kicked out the Romans and established his kingdom and and we talked about how that was exactly what Jesus' disciples thought as well and, and why uh, Jesus said he had a different plan. And, and he acknowledged, he said, you know, I think Jesus was a great rabbi, a great teacher, but not the Messiah. I said, okay, I appreciate that answer. And we talked a little bit more about that. I said, well, okay, uh, this, this was my question. You know, I, I know that you also, he has a son. And, and I said, you know, tell me about your son. Your son's ultra-Orthodox. He said, yeah, and, and that, that disappoints me. I said, you know, you mentioned that before. Why does... Why does that disappoint you? He said, well, I feel like my son, uh, I feel like he's following all these, these laws and these instructions. He's doing what his rabbi tells him. And he said, those things aren't really in, in the Bible. And people have different opinions about what you should be doing there. And, and you know, so I, I don't think that's the right way to go either. I said, okay, that's, that kind of brings me to my main question. I said, what, what do you think God does want you to do? In other words, it's not Jesus, you would say, and it's, it's not this ultra-Orthodox. What, what does God want you to do? He says, I'm not sure. There's a lot of opinions on that. And you, you could kind of tell, it was almost like he hadn't really thought too deeply about that question. I think many of us are in the same boat. I think most of us would say, I believe there's a God. I think most, I think most Americans, at least, would say, you know, I, I, believe, I believe there's some God out there. Now, for me, the follow-up question is, is pretty important. Okay, if, if you do believe that there is a God out there, what does he want you to do? In other words, if you believe that there is a, an all-powerful, sovereign God out there in the, who's created the universe, who, who has some sort of, of authority over the created world, don't you think it's kind of an important question to wrestle with? What does he want me to do? And yet, I would, I would argue that most people, even, though who would, even those who would be uh, verbally theists, those who would even acknowledge, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian, I would think many people fail to ask themselves the question on a day-to-day basis, okay, what does God want me to do? How does God want me to walk in obedience to him? That is a question, brothers and sisters, that is a question that should be a, a compelling question on our minds on a daily basis. What does God want me to do in this, in this relationship with my parents? What does the sovereign God of the universe want me to do? What does God want me to do in relationship to my, 
my studies in school? What does God want me to do in relationship to sports? What does God want me to do in relationship with, with the career that I choose and how I relate to my coworkers? That should be a, a question that compels me on a moment-by-moment basis. If there is a sovereign God over the universe, what does he want me to be doing right now? And yet, I think many of us just don't think very deeply about that question, right? Now, here's the good news. The good news is... The good news is that the answer to that question is incredibly uh, simple. God wants us to love him. God wants us to love him. He wants us to walk in, in obedience to him, and ultimately what that means is loving him, right? We walk in obedience to God by loving him. That's, that's the good news, but here's the bad news. Here's the second thing I want us to think about. Even though obeying God is so easy in in terms of knowing what to do, love him with all we are, it's impossible, right? That's the second thing I want us to see. The impossibility of obedience is demonstrated daily, right? The impossibility of obedience is demonstrated daily. You come here into into chapter 10, you continue, and, and what does, after he says, here's what you need to do, the next thing that he says you need to do is, is to circumcise, therefore, verse 16, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Okay, if you want to walk in obedience to God, all you need to do is love him. The only problem is that your heart is completely incapable of doing that. And so what you need to do in order to walk in obedience to God is to have a completely different heart. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin, he says, of your heart. It's this imagery of, of having a, a heart change, a radical heart change in which the heart that you have is no longer the same heart. Be no longer stubborn. So right now he's saying you're stubborn, you're unable to love God with all that you are, and so you need this, this heart change. And then in verse 17 and following, he begins to describe who God is and, and what a person who loves God looks like. Look what he says. Here's the awesomeness of God, verse 17. The Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He's not partial. He doesn't take a bribe. He executes justice. And you say, okay, uh, that's good. But he doesn't just execute justice. He executes justice for those who are powerless, the fatherless. Not just the fatherless, the widow. Not just the widow, the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner. And he doesn't just execute justice in an abstract way. He doesn't just care for them in an abstract way, but he does so tangibly by, by providing physical means for them. And then he goes on and he says, now, now you, if, if you love God the way that you ought to, you're going to be like God and loving these same things. For example, verse 19, you need to love the sojourner. You were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You need to fear the Lord your God. And he goes on and on and on. What is Moses' point? The essence of obedience is to love God. And yet at the same time, the impossibility of full obedience to God, of loving God fully, is demonstrated on a moment-by-moment basis in our lives. There is never a moment in my life where I am rightly worshiping the great and awesome God above gods the way that he deserves. There's never a moment in my life where I'm loving my neighbor as I, I love myself in the way that I ought to on a moment-by-moment basis. Obedience to God, even the, the simple rule of loving him, obedience to God is, is impossible. 
Which brings us to chapter 11 in this, this third thing we need to think about. It's the curse, it's that the curse of disobedience and the blessing of obedience are actually gospel sermons. Okay, let me, let me unpack what I mean by that. You come into chapter 11, and he begins again by talking about loving God and being obedient to him, that, that, same, that same truth that we've seen before. He describes who God is, what he's done, the, necess- the necessity of keeping all of God's instructions and what God is going to do. And, and then we come to, to verse 26. And Moses says, I'm, I'm setting two roads before you, right? Look at verse 26. He says, I'm, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. A blessing and a curse. He says, the, the blessing is if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. The, the curse is if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I'm commanding you today and go after other gods that you've not, not known. And, and he says, when the Lord your God brings you to the land that you're entering, that, that you're entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. He says, aren't they beyond the Jordan, west of the roads, toward the going down of the sun, the land of the Canaanites? Now, chapter 12 talks about the Lord's, uh, where, where the Lord's going to have them worship. We're going to come back to chapter 12 in a few weeks. Chapter 13 talks about the danger of uh, not dealing with those who would lead them astray from worshiping God rightly. But here's what I want you to do. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27. And here in, in, in chapter 11, he says, when you go into the land, you're going to, to do this thing with blessing and cursing. And then you come to chapter 27, and he describes the ceremony in more detail. He says there's, there's two mountains, and these, these mountains are not very far away from one another. They're, they're just a, a little bit of a distance away from one another. And he says, you're going to cross over the Jordan. This is 27, verse 2. And you're going to set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you're going to write all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, and then verse 4, And when you've crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster, and you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings, and you shall eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. You shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. He goes on and describes these two mountains. So here's kind of the picture. There's Mount Ebal, and Mount Ebal is here in the north. And this is the mountain of of curses. And he tells them that six of the tribes, or representatives from six of the tribes, are to go onto this this Mount Ebal, this mountain in the north, this mountain where the curses are. The the six tribes on Mount Ebal are Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So they have the representatives there. The Levites are here in the middle. And then you have the other six tribes on Mount Gerizim, which is in the south. That's Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And then on Mount Ebal, on this mountain of of cursing, 
They set up an altar. And then the Levites stand in the middle here. Okay, so here's the mountain of curses, Mount Ebal. Here's the mountain of blessing, Gerizim. And the Levites, first of all, read through the blessings. And we don't have the blessings in chapter 27. This isn't the, the full ceremony isn't described here. Let's, my assumption here is that the, the blessings are the reverses of the curses. Okay, So, the Levites stand in the middle, and then verse 15, they might say something like, instead of curse, they might say to the people who are on Mount Ebal there in the south, they might say, blessed. Okay, They might say, uh, blessed is the man who worships God alone. Okay, now, I know that we're not an amen church, uh, so this might, this might pull a muscle here or something. But just kind of stretch a little bit as you begin. But we're going we're gonna to try to recreate this, okay? So you guys, you're, you're first, you're the six tribes on Mount Gerizim, the mountain of blessing, okay? And it says that after the, the blessings are read, everyone says amen. So Moses might, or the Levites might say something like, blessed be the person who worships God alone. The people say Amen, that's right. Or you might say, okay, blessed be the person who honors his father and mother. And the people would say, amen. Blessed be the person who obeys all the books written in the, in the word of the Lord. The people would say, amen. Then come the curses. And the people on Mount Ebal in the north would prepare. And the Levites would stand there in the middle and the, Levite would say, the Levites would say this in verse 15, cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who disobeys or dishonors his father or his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. And all the people shall say, and you come to the, the end. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Now, do you understand the significance of what the people of Israel do as they confirm the blessing and the curses? They do this in Joshua chapter 8 when they come into the land. Do you understand the significance? As the people affirm the blessing, they are affirming that they don't deserve it. And as the Israelites proclaim the curses and come to verse 26, what are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming the justness of their own condemnation. What is that? As we think about the whole story of the Pentateuch that we've been going through, what is that? That's part of the gospel message. So if I, this morning, were to say, blessed be, you know, blessed be the people who honor their father and mother. You know, when I get a rousing amen, you know. Blessed be the person who, who, who tells the truth. Amen? Yeah? All right. 
What about this? What if I said curse? Cursed, you know, eternally separated from God be everyone who's lied this past week. Can I get an amen? What if I said blessed be every person or cursed be every person who's lusted in their heart this past week? Cursed, eternally separated from God, be every person who's lusted in their heart this past week. Cursed be every, every child, eternally separated from God, be every child who hasn't honored mom and dad the way that they should this past week. I'm not getting a lot of amens, right? But what is that? Brothers and sisters, that's, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Do you understand what you need? Do you understand what I need? I don't deserve the blessing. Laying a prayer mat on the ground and, and saying some words doesn't, say, doesn't mean I deserve a blessing. I deserve the curse. I deserve the curse. You read through these things and you come to the end. Cursed be anyone who doesn't obey all the things that God has told them to do. To say amen to that is 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 saying amen to your own condemnation. That's the gospel. Brings us to the last, the last thing here. Last truth I think is important for us to think about. The promise of the gospel is that Christ takes the curse and provides the blessing. The promise of the gospel is that Christ himself takes the curse and provides the blessing. I want you to, to leave Deuteronomy here for a moment and, and come to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. It's there in the, the New Testament. It's after uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. You go through the Corinthians. You come to Galatians. In Galatians chapter 3. And the good news, the good news of the gospel is already there by this point of the Pentateuch. Because you come to the end of, of Deuteronomy, that the gospel is already there. It's already been woven in the fabric of the gospel to Abraham. Someone is going to have to take the curse for us. We see that in the sacrificial system. Someone is going to provide the blessing for us. And, and we, that we see that as, as we see the story of Abraham. We're going to receive the blessing by faith. We see that in Abraham, the man of faith. Here's, you know... Here's what we see as we come to Galatians. We see that someone takes the curse and provides the blessing for us. You know, one of the, uh, one of the great fortunes of my life has been to be mistaken for other people. Uh, one time I was, when I was in middle school one time, I think I mentioned this before, one time a, a coach got really angry at me and, and yelled, you know, I'm, I'll see you next, next uh, class period, Rich Roberts. And I said, yes, sir, coach. And next class period, poor Rich Roberts got a, got a swat from the coach, right? When I was in high school, when I was in high school, I asked a teacher to, asked a teacher to write a letter of recommendation for me. And she wrote this letter of recommendation. And whenever I opened up the letter of recommendation, it was, it was amazing. It was phenomenal. And it took me about 20 seconds to realize she was describing some other kid and it had gotten me and this other kid mixed up. But it got me into college. So, uh, <laughs> no, I actually, it was so, it was so not, I had to tell her, I was like, I I think you confused me with someone else. Like, if they do any sort of background check, they're going to catch this. Uh, We need someone to take the penalty for us and provide a blessing we don't deserve. And here's what we see in Galatians 3. This is is amazing, right? Here's what we see first. 
Paul says, uh, hey, remember, the, the gospel came first. Look at verse 7. He says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So he's saying, look, remember, blessing comes by faith, not by works. You don't receive the blessing of God through your work. You receive it through faith. Second, Paul says, look, if you do rely on works, you're under a curse. And he quotes Deuteronomy 27 that we just read together. He says this. This is Galatians, right? But he's quoting Deuteronomy in verse 10. He says, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them will live by them. And he's quoting Leviticus there. In other words, what is Paul saying? Look, we know based upon God's promise to Abraham that the law isn't going to give us righteousness. We know that righteousness is going to come through faith. Now, how can righteousness come through faith? By God providing it on the basis of someone else's work. Here's here's the third thing here in, in Galatians. We see that Christ does the first thing we need him to do. Okay, what do we need someone to do? Take the curse, give us the blessing. We need someone to take the curse and leave us the bless and give us the blessing. We see that Christ does the first thing here in verse 17. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. It's Deuteronomy as well. It's quoting Deuteronomy again. So Christ takes the curse. But listen to what else Paul tells us. He provides us the blessing. And this is so beautiful, right? This is so, so beautiful. Verse 14 of Galatians 3. He takes the curse so that, verse 14, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, to, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. What does this mean? What does it mean? It, it, means, it means that I can't deserve the blessing. It means that I deserve the curse. But what Paul is saying is that, that the law, even though the law proclaims that truth, as the people encounter the law, that the law shuts everything up under sin, it reveals that, that we don't deserve God's blessing, that we do deserve his wrath. But, but what is Paul telling us? He's saying, Jesus Christ has taken the curse for us, provided the blessing for us, so that in him we receive the, the blessing of God, the blessing that God promised before the law was even given to Abraham. It, it's a beautiful story. 
It's a beautiful revelation that God gives us and gives to his people, even, even back here in these first few books of the Bible. So what does this mean, right? What, what does this mean for me, me practically? As we think about that, that diagram, I need, to, I need to know God in order to love him. I have to love him in order to obey him. I have to obey him in order to, to experience his blessing. I, I recognize my heart has to be changed for me to walk in obedience to God. My heart can't love God in and of itself. And so what do I do? I cling to Christ. He changes my heart for me so that I can love him and walk in obedience. What are some things that are going to be true in my heart? if my heart has been transformed by the gospel? In other words, how can I know that I'm, that I'm in Christ? How can I know that God is, is working through, through Christ in my life, that the, the promised spirit is, is changing me? I, I think it means a lot of things, right? And, and these aren't like, I'm, these aren't, this isn't a checklist. I'm not saying, hey, do these things and you know that you're receiving the blessing. No, how do we receive the blessing? Not through our works, through our faith in Christ. He takes the curse, provides the blessing. But, but what do I see in my life as that happens? I see a greater love for peace. You know, if, if Christ has taken the curse for me and provided me the blessing, that, and I'm in Christ, there is absolutely, absolutely no excuse for me to be in conflict with other believers, right? It means a greater humility. As I, as I think about this truth of me being in Christ and him providing the, the blessing for me, what in the world can I possibly be proud of, right? What in the world can I, I possibly be, be arrogant about if, if Christ has provided the blessing for me when I deserve the curse? It means caring for the needs of others. It means motivation to continue to cling to Christ. It means a greater drive to worship, to encounter the beauty of Jesus Christ and say, I love you, I love you and I desire to turn from sin and continue to cling to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. We thank you for the life that we have in him. We thank you that by your grace, you have revealed to us the means by which we can receive eternal life, not through our own works, not through our own efforts, not through our own intelligence or wittiness or kindness, but, but simply by turning to faith in your son, Jesus. And Father, as, as we began by faith, help us to continue by faith. Help us to acknowledge that the reality of the gospel, that, that we deserve a curse on a moment-by-moment basis, and yet in your grace, you've given us your son. Father, help us to cling to him in faith. And if there's someone here this morning who has not received eternal life through faith in his, in his name, I pray that even now, even in this moment, they would turn in faith to him, trust in him alone for salvation. Help all of us to continue, to continue in our walk with you by continuing to place our faith in your son Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.